everyone, and welcome back to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Dominant culture often treats the faith not as something formed, but something duplicated, passed down, identically, unchanged, across culture, time, and generation. It's as if the stories we experience and love don't live in ourselves and do nothing to shape our souls. But what if it's more artful than that? What if it's more embodied, more alive? Our guest today likens faith formation to a house of Lego bricks that can be dropped and shattered on the kitchen floor. It's a house that can be rebuilt. As anyone who's ever stepped on a Lego knows, the pieces that we leave abandoned on the floor may hurt a lot, but we can pick up the pieces that serve us to fashion the kind of world we yearn to come alive for ourselves and one another. I look at St. Luke's, the church that I serve at as a whole, as being, for some people, sort of a last stop. That's what we hear from a lot of folks that find us, is that, you know, I've been in this church or that church, I've been hurt for this reason or disillusioned for that, and I've heard that maybe you're different here, so I'm gonna try it, but if it doesn't work, I think I'm done. Like, I think this is the end of the line. And for me as a pastor, I just hold that as a pretty heavyweight because I think it matters. On this episode, the Reverend Mindy Moore, who is planting a Midtown-based church in Indianapolis, Indiana, the city I call home. She's one of my favorite preachers, whose messages are full of love and practicality. She has a realistic understanding of why religion isn't something on everybody's top 10 list all the time. Today, in part one of our conversation, we talk about the community she and others are contributing to in a funky, beloved part of town. And she also reminisces about the formation she experienced as a young child in a church that had very specific answers to her many probing questions. Let's jump right in. Mindy Moore, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's good to be with a fellow hometown girl here in Indianapolis. Yes, it's very exciting. (laughs) You have a lot of aspects to who you are, to your identity. You're a pastor, you're a friend, you're a parent of two young children, a spouse, you're a church planter. What would you add to that list? Hmm. I think I would add to that list that I am a neighbor. Mm. That's been a piece of my identity I've been exploring a lot more in this season, and I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about that. But just trying to get to know the people around me, the place that we call home now, which is different than where we called home for four years. So it's kind of a new beginning and, and a new start. Also, just someone who's very curious about the world and the people that are here. Yesterday, I found myself in a coffee shop just down the street, and it was packed. The only space was at the community table, which just strikes fear into the hearts of all of us because we're like, we have to sit with strangers. What do we do? (laughs) But I sat there for maybe an hour and just talked to the random people that came to that table. And I thought, this is how I like to position myself in my life, where I can just be open to conversation and just the stories of the people that I run into. Mm, That's beautiful. I would think that that 
has a lot to do with the way that this new community that is emerging in the area in town we call Broad Ripple and Midtown, the way that you neighbor, the way that you position yourself, how has that shaped the early first six months to a year of this project? Yeah, well, I've discovered that it is just a hyper-local community. So we lived before we decided we were going to do this thing of starting a new campus of our church. We lived a little further north outside of the city, and it didn't really seem to matter kind of where you went or, or what you did or where you shopped or anything like that. And we knew pretty quickly that we needed to live in the community for this to be successful. And I think it was just a real eye-opener to see how important it is to sort of have like our lives centered around this geographical area because people are really proud of it. And there is a lot of investment and a lot of love and just a lot of stuff that goes into this place. So what three words or you know, handful of words would you use to describe Broad Ripple for those who haven't been there, haven't heard of it? I would say artistic, changing, and committed. Hmm. Those feel like all very abstract words, so I don't know if that paints a great picture. (laughs) But I think it is, I mean, it's a community that was really built on a lot of artists and local investment, but it is changing so much. I mean, they are building all these new apartments and condos and new businesses are coming in. And I think that people are trying to figure out, you know, who are we, but we are committed to this place. Like people come here and I feel like while there is that renter transient piece, there's a lot of people that have been here for a long time and this is their community and they're very invested in it and they love it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you grow up in a community like Broad Ripple? or No, not at all. So I grew up in a mix of, I would say, suburbs and then living on five acres with no neighbors that you could wow. see and the woods. And there was nothing out by where we lived. So mm. very different. Yeah. Do you think about the ways that your context has shaped your faith? Yeah, I think You know, what I've noticed about my context, especially as it has shifted, is I would say I moved from a community where Christianity was sort of an important piece of it. So the community that I lived in before, I would say almost all my neighbors would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, that was just a piece of your identity. Now, now what that meant. Yeah. But it was definitely an identifier. Whereas here, that's not an identifier at all. There's no pressure, expectation that faith is the part of anyone's life. And for me, it's kind of refreshing because it feels very authentic. It tells the truth. There's sort of no preconceived notion about what anyone believes. Yeah. And so that creates that environment for curiosity. Again, like, let me actually get to know your story and not assume that I know who you are, where you're coming from. Yeah. If you feel like you were to have that question with a neighbor in Broad Ripple or anyone who's Christian, self-identifies as such, and pose that same conversation with someone who is... um would not describe themselves as a person of faith. Do you feel like you're getting different, significant answers from folks who would self-identify as Christian about what's important to them? Mm. Do they differ significantly from what folks would say who do not self-identify as Christian? 
Yeah, that is such a great question. I do not think it's that different. Yeah. Honestly, I think that we all have these things that we're carrying around, the things that, you know, worry us or excite us or sort of motivate us. And I think it's certainly shaped differently if we identify as people who are Christian or even just people of faith in general. But I'm not sure that it's really that different at its core. I mean, I love thinking about that. This is certainly based on my own anecdotal experience and not on um, research that I'm pointing to. But I love thinking about the fact that folks in the same neighborhood who are neighbors, as you've evoked that relationship, share many of the same things in common. And I think for Christians, that poses a lot of reflection Mm -hmm. for us to do about what it means to be Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes us really be challenged on, is this an identity or is it a practice? Is it maybe somewhere in the middle of those two things? But I think as I've kind of gone on my own faith journey, that's been a place that I have asked a lot of questions on, is it enough to just say, you know, this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is the t-shirt I wear, or the sticker I put in my car? Or is it really about how I live this out consistently even when it makes me or the people around me uncomfortable. Hmm. You had this beautiful, evocative video that was used by the parent church of St. Luke's, uh, which is a Methodist church, a large Methodist church in town. When you described your process of feeling this call to plant this new community, and I remember, this is not verbatim, I'm sure, but I was struck by how front and center the phrase deconstruction was located. It felt very honest to me. I immediately trusted what you were doing. And I think you said, I have deconstructed like absolutely everything and pulled apart every aspect of what I thought I believed. And, you know, in the process of forming this community that that's front and center where we're coming from in this. It's not just another church that's not thinking about deconstruction. I just left that. I'm curious if you, how you chose those words and why you chose them at that point as you introduced St. Luke's Midtown to the larger city. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'd answer that in a couple of different ways. One is pretty personal and one is, you know, thinking about who we're trying to connect with. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll start with who we're trying to connect with first. But I look at St. Luke's, the church that I serve at as a whole, as being, for some people, sort of a last stop. That's what we hear from a lot of folks that find us is that, you know, I've been in this church or that church. I've been hurt for this reason or disillusioned for that. And I've heard that maybe you're different here, so I'm going to try it. But if it doesn't work, I think I'm done. Like, I think this is the end of the line. And for me as a pastor, I just hold that as a pretty heavy weight because I think it matters. I think it matters that we have these places that we can express our faith and learn about our faith and live out our faith and have people around us to do that. So I think I like just have this ridiculous love for the church that even though I know there's a hundred reasons not to, I just love it. And I want to see it do the best thing it can do. And so when I think about who we were trying to reach when we were coming here to our Midtown location, I thought, There's so many people here who have said church just really doesn't serve any kind of point. 
for me. And in our community, in our context, a huge piece of that is LGBTQIA inclusion. And it's, you know, the church will tell me, we love everyone, we welcome everyone, but then you tell my brother or my best friend that they're going to hell. And I cannot, I cannot be aligned with that. So I just wanted to create a space where, first of all, we did affirm all people in a real and honest way, but also in a way to say like, it's okay that you have a lot of questions. I might not actually have all the answers, but you can hold those questions. Jamar Tisby has this quote, and just as a a plug for Jamar Tisby, because I love him, he wrote what I think is probably the most important book that came out in 2020, um, which is The Color of Compromise. Mm. And it traces how the white American church just fed the systemic racism machine. So if you have not read that book, you need to go get that book immediately and read it because it changed so much about what I know and believe and how I function as a pastor. Mm. But he has this great quote where he says that white evangelicals are the people who don't have any questions. Mm. And when I heard that quote, I thought about my own upbringing as a white evangelical And the fact that so much of what I was taught was this driving toward certainty, this driving toward answers, this driving toward eternal safety. And if we didn't find it, wow, we were going to be in big trouble. But the problem with not having questions is that when the questions pop up, you don't have any space to do anything with them. So what I see happen to so many people is that their faith just breaks, because they haven't been given tools. And so I just have a real strong desire to help people cultivate those tools. We'll be right back. Friends, you are listening to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Today's guest is the Reverend Mindy Moore. During this short break, we wanted to let you know that you can find links to the resources mentioned in our podcast, as well as a transcript of the audio, online at newchurchnewway.org. You can also subscribe or follow our podcast on all the major platforms, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google. Now, back to my conversation with Mindy. Do you remember, Mindy, one of the first times you began to ask questions about your faith or about what you assumed was... In place and ordered. Mm -hmm. So I was in eighth grade, and this memory is just burned into my brain forever. And I was in eighth grade in this very conservative Lutheran school. There were eight kids in my whole grade, one boy. So if you want to, like, understand me as a middle schooler, (laughs) there you go. It was something else. But we had confirmation class with the senior pastor. So we'd all sit around this table. We had this little yellow book that we'd read, and we had Luther's Catechism, and we'd memorize that. And I remember we were talking about the these ideas of, you know, heaven and hell and salvation. And the way it was presented was that our synod of Lutheranism was the only one that had it right. So not even just like Lutherans, but this group of Lutherans. That's a niche position. It's very niche. To enjoy. Because <laughs> it's not like a big group. It's pretty small. And so we were reading this and talking about it. And in eighth grade, I just remember sitting there feeling like, all the alarm bells in my head were going off. And I didn't really understand why. I didn't I mean I was not like a super theological kid. But I remember asking the pastor, but what about the Methodists? 
And I think that's so funny because I didn't know any Methodists, but I was very concerned with them. And now here I'm Methodist clergy. So (laughs) I guess it was ingrained from an early age. But I asked him that question and he just looked at me and said, they go to hell. Wow. They don't have it right. They do not know the truth. And I just felt like for me, that was the first moment of disconnection. Like, wait, that doesn't work for me. Like I knew when he said it that I didn't agree. Yeah. And then as I kept going on in my faith, like there were more of those moments. Like I didn't stay with that church. I went to a big, fun mega church that was totally different. And it was great. And it nurtured a lot about my faith. But eventually there came to that point where there were questions that felt like they shouldn't have had an easy answer, but we really wanted them to. Do you have an image or word that describes what that voice was for you in those moments where you things were not squaring up for you? I would say the image in my head or maybe just the feeling behind it was that this isn't big enough. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have used this in eighth grade, but now I would say, you know, there's not enough people invited to this table. How has this experience in your childhood and being nurtured in one particular direction, a niche direction in the church, and beginning to ask questions, beginning to step outside of that intentionally, made you the pastor that you are today? I think it has given me a lot of room for a lot of different stories. I feel pretty good about the whole Jesus thing, which I mean, we could talk more about that in deconstruction and how that's possible. But I feel pretty good about what I believe. Like, I don't know that my beliefs have even like super soft edges to them. But I think what I do have is just an understanding that those beliefs can express themselves in so many different ways. And because I've had one very specific lived experience, I just have to listen because there is so there are so many more ways that God is going to work than I can even start to think of. I mean, I think the place that I really learned that was after college, I moved to Chicago for a year because my now husband had a year left in school and I didn't want to live at home and work at retail. So I was like, I'm going to go do something cool and live in Chicago. And I ended up working at this Puerto Rican Pentecostal church, which How? I don't know. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what God does. And so I worked with this group of people who just, their lived experience looks 0% like mine. In what ways, Mindy? Well, I think, you know, first of all, very white, very suburban (laughs) woman growing up in a church where there was no speaking in tongues. There was none of that. But then there's deeper narratives like, oh, people are poor because it's their fault or police brutality is just something that the liberals want you to believe. Mm -hmm. And yet then I met people who were like, no, this happened to me. This is my story. And it was just story after story. And it was people who were growing up in poverty and finding a way and had this amazing faith. And like their faith didn't include, I have four bedrooms on a cul-de-sac and three cars. Like that wasn't what faith meant. It was something totally different. And it it really rewired my thinking of like, what does it mean for God to bless someone, for someone to be loved by God, for someone to follow God faithfully and do it in a way that looks nothing like my life has looked? Yeah. I mean, earlier in the conversation, you evoked the phrase eternal safety. And that sends to me a lot of contrast with the experience of the folks that you got to know in Chicago. Mm -hmm you know, 
where we taught to assume safety in our faith early on in a particular context as a destination or as a, you know, you're in the way when things are looking up for you in terms of finances, acquisition, and feeling at home in a suburban white context. But did that shift the way you understood safety or the priorities of the Christian faith? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, you know, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you're going to lose your life. And what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and lose their soul? And I just think that is such a, oh, it's a hard question. It's like, Jesus, why do you have to ask me that? I don't want to answer that. I would like all the things, please, that I would like to be comfortable. But it's not the life that I think Jesus calls us to. And I'm not trying to paint like a false picture of, okay, if you're suffering, you're so holy. Because I think that's a weird thing that we do with like poor people and stuff. But what I do think is very real is that when we actually have to depend on God. And when we actually have to look at more than like the stuff that we have to see what makes like a whole and rich life. Like when we look to things like community and interdependence, that's really different than the narrative that I was brought up with, which is like, you just look out for yourself, follow the rules. You're going to get to heaven one day. It's all going to be okay. And I just think Jesus calls us to something that's a lot more compelling than that. Yeah. Those who are listening to the podcast, depending on what work you do throughout the week and who you intersect with, you might be surprised with this question. But I would say, Mindy, having heard your preaching, which is lovely and powerful, just you're an amazing preacher. Thank you. I was struck that this is going to, I probably shouldn't phrase it this way. You talk about the Bible a lot in your sermon, Mindy. (laughs) Again, this probably sounds like a silly question from one angle. But I think for a lot of us who have taken deconstruction seriously and are in ministry with folks who have had to step away from the faith that they were maybe forced into that alienated them, uh, misidentified them. The Bible is a complex thing. Would you lean right in? Yeah. Oh, Sarah, I love this question. It's my favorite thing because I do. I talk about the Bible a lot. I love the Bible. I'm a super Bible nerd. I mean, it's a lot. I love the Old Testament. People don't know what to do with that. It freaks people out. It's funny. I feel like the more I have deconstructed my faith and the more I've learned about Scripture, it's like Scripture is so good and it's so beautiful and it's so challenging and it's so complex. And if we let it be all those things, I think there's so much invitation to it. I think where we get in trouble and where I see a lot of people sort of jump into the deconstruction pool from is that they've been told like this book is all the facts. Mm -hmm. It's 100% true. It's historically accurate beginning to end. The point is we just get so caught up in is every word in this book exactly how it happened. And then if you pull one string from that, everyone starts getting very upset and afraid and I mean, I've had people tell me as my faith has evolved and changed, like, well, you don't honor scripture. You don't hold scripture in a very high place. I'm like, no, I love scripture. I just read it really differently. Because I think even when you look at Jesus' ministry, the thing he said all the time was, you've heard it said, but. Hmm. And Jesus knew his scripture. Like, he wasn't just pulling this stuff out of the air. He was quoting scripture and he was saying, but maybe context is changing. Maybe there's another way to think about what God is saying, and maybe we're living in a different time. And the fact that 
so many Christians are afraid to do that. It just makes me sad because I think like this is a living, breathing thing, the Bible. It is not meant to just be like a one-time stamp and this is how you live your life. And we know that because, I mean, hello, read the Old Testament laws. Like we have no problem throwing those out. But then there's some of these things that we just hold on to. And I think like, let's ask questions about power and motivation and how we read this and why some of these things have become so important to some groups. Yeah. And so I just think the Bible, it's a really exciting book and it's God's story. And it, it tells the story of a God that loves some people that were really hard to love sometimes. Yeah. And I think if God could love them, then God can surely love me and you and all of us. And that there's a lot of hope to that. Friends, that's it for part one, but we'll be back next week with part two of my conversation with Mindy Moore. You can get that episode sent right to you by subscribing to New Way, wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you help us spread the word about the important conversations happening here by sharing them with your friends and contacts. Thank you. And thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Our fabulous producer is Martha Ames Sanders. You can always visit us online and see archives of all of our episodes at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time.